morning. feel like a rookie up here. It's been a while. I suppose that's what you guys felt every time I ever preached. It's like having a rookie up there. Uh, this morning we're going to be doing a couple of things. We're going to pass the baton on to uh, Charles, who will become our lead minister here at Paradise Valley. Uh, I will continue on as an associate, uh, do counseling and that, that sort of thing. So I'm not leaving, but uh, I am uh, passing the baton on a little bit. Charles uh, had outlined these sermons for the last few months, and he was going to be gone this weekend. They had a wedding to go to, but of course you can't go to the wedding because of the way things are. And uh, he gave me this topic. The topic is called The Divided Kingdom or A House Divided, which is kind of a Holy Spirit thing, I would say, if you think about the idea of talking about division uh, after what's going on at this this time in our life, but I think that we're going to see a little different angle here as we go through this. This passage is in Matthew 12, uh, 24 through 30, and it begins with Jesus casting out a demon and, and also healing that same man of blindness and an inability to speak. How, he, how did he do it? That was a question that was asked. Was it the power that God gives or was it the power that Beelzebub brought or Satan? And I think the answer to this question helps us really understand the statement, a house divided cannot stand. Uh, we real, and Jesus answers this in a, in a very interesting way. Uh, he basically shows us in this passage that there are different types of division. There's the division that comes in kingdoms or nations. There's the division that comes in households. And there's a division that comes within us as individuals. And so we're going to talk about this idea uh, of division. Uh, we can be divided at the kingdom level. And this past week has, has showed us that there's some things going on in our nation that are, that are divisive. We know that there's uh, two sides to every story. We know some things that were done were not done properly. We know that some things that are happening now are not being done properly. We also know that we live in a nation that allows us to voice our opinions about things, and uh, that's important for us. But kingdoms come and go. Have you ever noticed that? They come and they go. Let's read this passage. You'll see what it has to say. We'll start here in verse 24 of Matthew 12. Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of, dark, of demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the, by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder the, 
his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. And so as we look at our, our world, we can see that there are many times where nations are divided, usually as a result of a civil war. Uh, we know that America's had its own civil war. We know that uh, out of that war came a unified nation. <clears throat> we, we, some people even refer to the Revolutionary War as a civil war. In a sense, it was a war with us and, and uh, Britain. But uh, out of that nation, out of those wars come a new nation. But I want you to think about what you've seen of nations that have been developed over the past 50 to 70 years, 100 years. What kind of nations have, have come out of these divisions? And I started listing some of these. I thought about Russia. Russia came out of a civil war. I thought about modern China. China came out of a civil war. Uh, North and South Korea. Korea. Uh, North Korea is a, is a communist country. We look at Vietnam. Out of a civil war came a unified Vietnam. But there's something that all of these countries have in common, if you think about them, is they practice a darkness. They've brought a darkness to their people. They've opposed the idea of Christianity. They've persecuted Christians. If you don't know that that's going on, you're not paying attention in China right now. They're bulldozing churches and they're putting Christians in prison. My friend Wing Wong, who's done missionary work in China for years, tells us on a continual basis of the persecution that's going on there. And the common denominator is that it's an idea of controlling people's minds and thoughts, their speech, and their ability to worship God. And so we need to be aware of that. and We need to understand that we, as a nation, have one hope of being unified. And I believe that one hope is Jesus Christ. We can't be unified without a faith in Jesus Christ. Because of the times we're going through, we need a revival. And you know, I want each of and every one of us to think about that. Are we praying for revival or are we praying for something else? But pray that God would intercede and bring us back to our foundation Every situation requires a foundation. Christianity is built on Jesus Christ. There's no other foundation that was laid but Jesus Christ. And everybody builds on it. This is a Corinthians. And everything that's built is tested by fire. That which remains is your reward. It talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If, if, if we don't understand that, then we miss the whole point. As, as a body of believers at PV, what should we be doing? We should be declaring the name of Jesus Christ. We should be encouraging people to think about what Jesus would do in these various situations. Trust in God and return to his word, realizing that God can help us and does help us and has always stood with us. Probably one of the most well-known verses when it, in regard to this is, is 2 Corinthians uh, 
Second Chronicles, excuse me, chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. If we'll humble ourselves and turn from our wicked ways, he will heal our land. We need to, we need to turn back to God. We, we need to turn back to the foundation that we have as a nation, which is the Constitution. The Constitution declares that we have certain inalienable rights, you know, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, that those things are, are part of what it is to be an American. If you think about it, uh, in our marriage counseling, we do this on a regular basis. And this is one of the things that we talk about. What is your foundation going to be? What, what are you going to build on in this marriage relationship? And that foundation is Jesus. If you don't have that foundation, then you have two people, one over here, one over there. They both have an opinion, right? And that opinion may come together, or it may not. It could be going all over the place. That's why a lot of married couples can re re understand that they have disagreements. How many married couples in here ever had a disagreement? <laughs> okay. Even with the foundation of, of Christ that we build our families and our lives on, we can have disagreements. But think about this. You have one authority He's here, and if you're there, and you're over there, and you're coming together based on that foundation to the authority of God, what will happen? You'll grow closer together. You'll, you'll develop more understanding. You'll have a better relationship. Without that foundational thought, our country is in trouble. I believe that. I firmly do. We need to return to Jesus Christ, and we as Christians need to do everything we can to encourage people to live that way. Trust in the word of God. Trust in the fact that our, our nation was built on the word of God. Our system is built on that. And follow the formula that our forefathers gave us. This is critical. And this is world kingdoms or nations. Now they are divided. But then there's also another kingdom, a kingdom that's very important for us to, to really get a hold of. It's the kingdom of God. Do you realize the church is God's kingdom on earth? You ever thought of it like that? Everybody that's here that's saved, that's a Christian, is going to be there. We're going to be together in heaven. We, we're together now. We're his elect, we're saved, we're his people. And we're going to be there together in the kingdom of God. And so Satan understands that. He understands that, that he needs to attack the church. And from the beginning, he has always done that. He has always attacked the church and tried to divide it up and tried to destroy it. If you turn over to Galatians, and much of the New Testament was written with this in mind, they had what we call the Judaizers. The Judaizers came into the church and they began to add Old Testament ideas to 
what Jesus had laid down for the, the, the way that people are saved and the way that people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and what Jesus taught was that I'm going to come, I'm going to die for you. And I'm going to pay the price. And you can't earn it. And all you got to do is the law system says the opposite of that. The law system says that you can earn your way to heaven. Most religions of the world are based on law. If you do enough good stuff, you're going to go to heaven. If you don't do enough good stuff, you're not. But the New Testament church, the church that Jesus Christ established, is based on the blood of Christ. And not on how good you are, not how much good you do. We do good because we love God. We do good because God changed us. But we could never do enough good to ever earn our way to the kingdom. Jesus did that. But the Judaizers came in with the idea that, you know, you need to do this and you need to do that and all that. Add all the Old Testament law into what was going on and try to dilute down the message of Christ. And that's something that's all through a lot of the epistles in the Bible. But we're going to look here at Galatians. This is Paul. He's inspired by the Spirit as he writes this, the Holy Spirit of God. This is inspired word. And it's, it's Galatians chapter 1, it's beginning in verse 6. It says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, that there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. In other words, don't change the message that Jesus gave us. And there is a problem with this. Here, if you turn over to Galatians 2 and verses 11 through 13, we see what happened when these Judaizers came in to the church at Galatia. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. And so here, Paul's saying, do not turn away from the gospel that you receive. There's one gospel based on the blood of Christ and go to some other gospel which is based on law. And so we make a choice, don't we? We make a choice between grace and law. And God established a church through his son, Jesus Christ, that was based on grace. Based on receiving a gift we don't deserve. And in that understanding, we become unified as Christians. Critical to get a hold of that. The whole idea of Paradise Valley Christian Church is based on what they call the Restoration Movement. The Restoration Movement was about returning to the Word of God. It took place in the early 1800s when people were 
basically developing creeds that they followed, and churches were all about that. You know, the confessions of faith that you had to accept, and you had to sign on to those things if you wanted to be a, a Christian. And, and there was a movement to stand up against that, that it's the word of God, not some creed that we pull out of it and put into a, a form that we have to pledge to, but that we follow the word of God. And it brought about a great uh, revival as people turned to the word. And the, and the nation was changed by that. And that's what we represent. That's what we're about. We look at the New Testament and we look at the whole thing together, not just taking out parts here and there. But what does it say about this? Well, what does it say about it here and here and also here? And these Judaizers, they then wanted to make it something else. Now, the New Old Testament basically tells us and reveals to us what the New Testament's going to be about. It's hidden there. It's not easy to see, but it's there. They're preparing the way for the new covenant. And we're part of that new covenant. And so we can't be separated by going away from the word of God or going away from what God teaches us. We have to continue on that way. We can take this to a, a different level today that we're talking about this. One of the reasons that Paradise Valley has been united for a long time, I've been here for 47 years, okay? I'm, I'm shooting for 50. <laughs> and one of the things that I've never seen happen at PV is we were never without a minister. How many churches can say that? We've always had a minister. We've always had preachers. We've always had what we needed to, to proclaim the gospel in all those years. And we've always had a strong and stable eldership. There's never been a time when we didn't have an eldership at Paradise Valley. At least in the last 47 years. The church started a few years before I got here, but I don't think that was ever the case then. So we have unity and one of the things that's given us unity is that we transition. And that's what we're going to do today. We're transitioning our leadership. Our lead minister is now going to be Charles Quinn. I'm going to be an associate. I'm going to help him. I'm going to work with him. Uh, my, my role is going to be counseling and going and seeing sick people and things like that. You know? So I'm still going to be around. Uh, you probably catch me asleep in my office, I guess, if you come by. <laughs> I shouldn't have added that in. But the, the point is, I'm here. And I'm here to support our new lead pastor, our new lead minister, Charles. And, and we all need to do that. And that's what we've done. And that's what's allowed us to be successful over many, many years in staying united and not dividing. And churches often are divided. I'm not saying we haven't had our bumps in the road, but we've always held together. Why? Because of the word of God. Because we love God. So this is a great day. I cried the first hour. I'm not crying this time. But we are united together as a body of believers. Now, the second way that we can be divided is within our homes. 
And, and that's pretty common in America. I think it feeds into what, a lot of what's going on. There's a lot of homes that are broken and separated and hurting. And, and that's something that we need to be conscious of and that we need to strive together to be strong in our homes. We need, to, we need to teach the gospel to our kids. We need to teach the word of God. Because if we have strong families who follow, follow God's plan, we have a strong nation. One of the things that's happening is that we're destroying the family in our country. It's under attack. And the only people that are standing up for this is a Christians. The Christian people are standing up for let's be families that are strong, united in our faith towards God. We need to stand up for that. Without that, we cannot have a strong church. Without that, we cannot have a strong nation. And so that requires moms and dads who love Jesus, that they're united in their faith, they walk in their faith, and they go forward in that way. I was reading in my daily reading uh, a deal by R.C. Sproles. R.C. Sproles is a pretty well-known theologian. I don't always agree with everything he says. I'm sure he wouldn't agree with a lot of what I say. But he, he made this point. It really touched my heart. It really made me think. He said he could remember when he was a kid and his mom standing there with her pointing at him with her finger and her eyes on fire, the way he put it, and, and, and asking a question, just what is the big idea? You ever had that happen to you? Just what are you up to? What are you, what are you trying to accomplish by doing this? I, it's amazing to me how good a kid you all were. No, not one person said that ever happened to them. Well, it happened to me a bunch. You know, what are you doing? And, and so he then went on and he said later on in his life, he had somebody ask him the same question. It was like this. What is the big idea of the Christian life? I thought, that's a neat connection. What is the big idea of the Christian life? You ever ask yourself that? And of course, if you know R.C. Sproul's, he, he answered in a very uh, high-mannered way, used Latin, and he used the Latin word corem dio. And this is what that means. To live corem dio is to love one's entire, to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and to the honor and glory of God. That's what fathers and mothers need to do before their children. They need to live their life before God. Many of you probably have read a little book. It's called Practicing the Presence. It was written by Brother Lawrence, a monk who lived in, uh, uh, what was that? 1691 is when he died. Now, Brother Lawrence had a pretty high position in his monastery. He washed pots and pans. That was his job. And later on, when he got too old to wash the pots and pans, they let him fix sandals. But during his time in that monastery, he wrote down his ideas about what it meant to live in the presence of God. 
And that book still survives, his, his thoughts still survive today. And it has, that boils down to this, is whatever you do, wherever you go, God is with you. The thoughts that you have, God hears those thoughts. He knows those thoughts. And so the question always comes down to is, are they godly thoughts? Are they things that honor God or not? But if we have families that honor God, it, as it says in Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it, then we are successful. That we are, we are successful as Christians. Your greatest ministry, I've, I've said this for years and years, and I firmly believe it, is your family. How many of you want to get to heaven and leave your kids behind? You know? So you need to be doing everything you can to take them with you. Everything you can. That's, that's a challenge. So we can be attacked in our families. The last idea, and I think probably the most critical, is we can be attacked within ourselves. That's where the real battleground is. That's where you decide which side you're on, where you're going to be, where you're going to stand. It's right there. Whether you're going to do the right thing or whether you're going to do the wrong thing. The Bible talks about a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And the final definition, this is where the problems of division rest. It's in our thoughts. It's in our mind. Because our thoughts lead us to take action. And oftentimes the thoughts that we have lead us to take the wrong actions. And I don't know about you, but I'll, I will confess to you that over this past few weeks, I've had some pretty bad thoughts. Seriously. I love America. And I hate to see what's going on. And I know there needs to be some changes made, but I also know that there's some problems with the way these changes are being addressed. See, there needs to be repentance. Repentance is a, is a change of mind and direction. As Christians, we need to repent. We need to think about where our thoughts are taking us. Are they unifying us or are they separating us? Really, that's the struggle that they were challenging Jesus with. Did you cast out these demons by the power of Beelzebub, or did you cast them out by the power of God? And Jesus brings this down to a personal level. He, he actually refers to Satan here in verse 26, and he says, If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Do you get that? Now twist that around. If Christians are divided against themselves and they're thinking the thoughts of Satan, then how can Christianity stand? There's a civil war going on in our minds, in our hearts, in our thoughts. We have to be victorious over that. Well, how can we do that? You know, it, we're not the only ones that have this problem. The Apostle Paul in Romans writes about this problem that he had. This internal struggle, this internal civil war, it, it goes like this in, in Romans 7, verse 15. It says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what, what I will to do, 
that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And so he presents that ever-going question, that we the struggle that we have between doing what we know is right and doing things that are wrong. We know that the answer to that is to study the Word of God, to look to the Word of God and see what God says. Let God define what's good and what's wrong. Not us, but God, who defines what is proper and just behavior for us as Christians to follow. Not people telling you what you ought to do, not people saying that you're not doing enough, but doing what God teaches you to do that is contained within his word. What are we going to do? How are we going to live? In Hebrews 4.12 it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. See, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Then, then you look over here, back in 2 Timothy, and we look and it, in uh, 2 Timothy 2 and 15, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Right, you know, to look at the word of God. Be a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Follow and trust God in what he teaches us. But yet, we have a problem, don't we? We can read the scripture and we can know what it says, but we can still struggle with doing it. Right? <laughs> and so here's the thing. Paul had a struggle, but Paul has a solution. He knows that we'll say, well, you know, I'm so tired of do making the same mistakes. If you're like me, I say, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to eat that dessert. I, I'm not going to say a bad word. I'm not going to drink the beer. And I shouldn't say I'm doing all these things. <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to take the drug. I'm not going to watch pornography. You know? I'm not going to tell a lie. But the fact of the matter is we do it anyway. And I know in a group this side, probably every one of these things that we mentioned has happened. And when they happen, I'm sure as we're convicted, we say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that way. But we struggle. 
So what is Paul's solution to this? What is his solution? In Romans chapter 8, we look here in verse 19. It says, but you are not in the flesh. See, he's talking about in Romans 7, a battle between the flesh and our spirit. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. When you accept Christ, when you're baptized into Christ, when you begin to walk with Christ, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is living in you alive. He is alive in you. And so the only way you're going to have victory, the only way is you've got to yield to the Spirit of God to give you strength because we don't have it. There's none of us have it. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. See, we're debtors to who? Christ. To live the way he tells us to live and to be empowered to live by his Holy Spirit. Now, here's the deal. How did Jesus cast out that demon? How did he heal that, that man that couldn't speak or see? By the power of God. It wasn't the power of the devil. It was the power of God. How do we live then? We live by the power of God. We recognize our own weaknesses. We recognize that we need to begin to think in a different way as a people, as a church, as a nation, as a family, as an individual, and to begin to walk with God, trusting in His power to change us and change our heart. So when these thoughts come in that are not of God, we need to rebuke those thoughts. It talks there in, in Matthew about taking the strong man captive and another way of putting that is bind Satan. Bind him. Don't let him have room in your life. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Very important. Who is greater? The, the Bible says, you know, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Listen to the Spirit of God that's in you. And you will do the right thing. You will come down on the right side. If you don't, then we struggle along. And we pay some consequences. And we learn things through the school of hard knocks, which apparently we have to do sometimes. <laughs> but do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus did what he did by the power of God. Do you believe that his word is inspired by the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that it gives us the answers we need? And do you believe that 
Jesus Christ would never ask us to do something if he won't help us do it. I believe he will. But you have to have a desire to follow him. And that's what we need. That's what our nation needs. We're going to have an invitation. If there's a decision to be made, we'd ask you to come and to agree with us.